Welcome to The Rural Rockstar, a podcast dedicated to empowering rural women with the tools and inspiration to transform their lives and businesses from the inside out. I share my journey of survive to thrive in life and business, and I show what it takes to be an entrepreneur. I also interview other rockstar women from around the world to inspire you to do it too. My mission is to empower the next generation of rural changemakers to show up and be the leaders we need. I'm Katrina, your rockstar host. Let's rock. Hello, welcome back to the Rural Rockstar. I'm your host, Katrina Myers, and today I'm joined by my very good friend, Hayley Perbrick. Hello, Hayley. Hello, Katrina. Oh, it is so nice to have you here with me. Haley is one of my favourite humans in the world and I'm so like blessed to call her one of my best friends now. We met about, I think it's about five years ago now, in Deniliquin. Yeah, I mm-hmm. think it was in Deniliquin about five years ago. I remember actually going to one of the event that you organised, the um, Women in Water event, which was probably before that, and then you organised another event which was the Riverina Women's Collective event. I don't know if you actually called it the Riverina Women's Collective. I think you had at that point. Anyway, it was the very first, one of the first events you had, and I came over to it. And after attending that event, I was like, I need to know Haley. I need to know this woman. <laughs> I just, I think I rang you up and then, you know, we, we caught up and I was trying to do similar things over here in Barham, I think, and we just connected and I just... Since then, we've got on to have a very, very special friendship, one of my most special friendships, really, and you've been a mentor to me and just, yeah, so, so, so grateful for our relationship. And it's very exciting to be able to talk to you today and share your story. We've been trying to organise this for a while. So Haley is um, part of the Perbrick family and they're part of that, well, they own and run as a family business to build wines, which many of you may have heard of. It's beautiful, amazing, I think they have the oldest red or Shiraz grapes in Australia. Is that right, Amy? Oh, I don't know if we're the oldest, but we're pretty close. They were planted in 1860. So I'm going to call it close. the oldest. Let's claim it. <laughs> <laughs> we said it here on the podcast. <laughs> and anyway, so Haley also now lives on her, a farm with her husband, Lockie, near Daniloquin, and they grow rice and cotton and do all sorts of things. And Haley has set up a co-working space in Daniloquin and has done a lot of things in her local community and is, you know, an amazing community person. And we're going to hear all about her leadership roles and her community work and her work in the family business and all of that today. Who knows where the conversation will take us? I'm excited to see actually because Haley and I can go down lots of rabbit holes. And, you know, Haley is actually the one that introduced me to Meg, who I often talk about on the podcast and who's been on the podcast lots of times and who is another one of our very, very dear friends. And we all like to go down deep rabbit holes in our conversations in understanding humans and understanding ourselves. And I'm really looking forward to chatting today about all of that. So Haley, tell us, how did you get to be where you are now living in Daniloquin? Tell us the story of Haley to this point. <laughs> I always find that such a big question and I'm going to see how I can tell it in an interesting way. It's not about what I do. It's about who I am. Um, I love that. So uh, I'm going to plant the seed, I guess, with um, I think I've always been really connected to where I've been born, so the land under my feet. And when I think about how I've made it to Denny, a lot of it 
goes back to I did this deep sense of connection to rural Australia and to the Australian bush landscape. Um, I grew up in a little town called Nagambi, which is where the family business where Tabilk is based. And I went to boarding school when I was 13, so pretty stock standard country type uh, arrangement. Um, and I think I always felt a little bit displaced moving to the city. And I stayed there until I was in my early 20s um, after uni and going to school there. But there was always this yearning to move back to the country. And I don't know what it is. I'm an earth sign. I think maybe that helps. I'm just grounded. Um, and I really love uh, the diversity of people that you get in rural Australia. And that's always been something that I've enjoyed is connecting with all different ages and different types of people. So I feel like in rural Australia, you get a real opportunity to mingle with such a diverse group who can challenge your ideas and opinions. And that's what I like about rural Australia. I know some people find that really confronting to be pulled up in the supermarket, but I just like, love that sort of stuff. Um, so in Melbourne, I found that uh, probably a little bit displacing, a little bit disconnected. I uh, love the culture of Melbourne, but always thought I might move back to the country in some way. I guess that opportunity happened after I'd studied ag in Melbourne and I uh, I couldn't find a job in agriculture. I really wanted to do resource management, sustainability. But back then, it was just not a thing. It wasn't something that you could study. Mm. was not something you could do. And so I was doing a project on our wetlands that we have at Tabilk and I met somebody from Ernst & Young from the accounting company um, and they suggested that I join their uh, tax consultants kind of graduate program or put my hand up because they needed someone in the research and development space. So that's how I uh, ended up, I guess, staying in Melbourne for a little longer and uh, I ended up working at Ernst & Young for a little bit. Um, it was an up and down time for me. I didn't really uh, fit the matching pantsuit culture. <laughs> Just <laughs> really didn't work. I think you'd find me most of the time with four mates who I just still get along so well with. We'd go and have coffee every morning for about two hours <laughs> at the local coffee shop. And, uh, yeah, we had a great time. It's very social can't say I did a lot of work. Um, so I, I eventually left that job. I, I got back from a holiday in Fiji um, and I remember saying to, to my friends at EY, if I get back and I have to work until, you know, 11 at night, like I'm done, I'm over this, I think I'm going to end up marrying someone here if I don't like branch out. Um, and uh, <laughs> well, you know, marrying an accountant would be okay, I'm sure, but it it just, I was like, that's not my exit out of the city. I'm going to get stuck yeah. here forever. Mm. Uh, so I called my dad and said, I, um, I ended up working till 11. And I just remember thinking, this is not where I want to be. Um, so I called my dad and asked if there was a spot for vintage, which is our harvest period at the winery. And he said, no, there's not. <laughs> and I thought, shit, okay. <laughs> Well, I'm still going to have to quit. So I quit. And uh, sure enough, a couple of weeks later, after I was toddling around figuring out what I would do, dad called me and said, hey, there's a spot that's popped up if you'd like to do it. And so, which is, this is very typical of my dad and my relationship. Um, I never get exactly what I 
asked for, but it doesn't stop me asking, which is probably why we can work together. Um, so I uh, took the opportunity to go back to Tobilk and have been there subsequently for I, over a decade now, nearly 15 years, I think. Um, the story of meeting Lockie and moving to Denny it's like every other rural woman that I know in my co-working space is we met at the races, um, we accidentally fell pregnant after a couple of years and hence here I am. I'm in Denny, the beautiful Three Denny. Three kids later. Three kids later and still working for Tabilk. So best of all worlds. Um, yeah, really, yeah, that's how, that's how I got here. Yeah. Do you know, it's so funny you say that because pretty much every woman that I've interviewed has exactly like you say that same story we met at the pub and then I moved to the country or we met at the races and then I moved to the country it's like yeah <laughs> such a common story isn't it that you oh it is it's such a common story and I mean I don't want to jump ahead too far but that's why I started the co-working space and working with women in the community was because it's such a common story that um there's a huge gap in regional communities to empower those women who have moved to the country who have so many skills to bring to the community but there's not necessarily work for them locally so absolutely it is such a common story and we will get to the co-working space but first of all tell us about working in Tobilk so you you managed to because I know and it's interesting when you interview a good friend because you've got to remember what other people don't know it's like all right now I have to ask the right questions so that you know so tell us about when you first moved to Denny and you were still working at Tabilk and it was kind of a bit out there then to be working remotely wasn't it I remember like especially you know for, for most firms I mean now everybody's working remotely obviously because of COVID but you know when you were doing it it was kind of a bit out there and it was new and so and I'd love to hear about the work that you've done at Tabilk tell us about your role there and also something I remember to ask you about was the carbon neutral stuff because Tabilk is the first carbon neutral winery in Australia. Is that right? Well, we're probably one of the only wineries in Australia that are accredited across the whole business. So from, I guess, growing it right through to making it to selling it. So we do all three scopes across the whole business. So I would say we're probably the most accredited winery in Australia when it comes to carbon neutrality. And we've also been doing it since uh, 2008. So it's very much a part of what we do. And it's only... Uh, it's really interesting to look at how trendy it is at the moment to be carbon neutral. I feel like we've been there for such a long time. It's really nice to see customers and, you know, Australians embrace um, the idea of climate change and what carbon neutrality can be. It's, yeah, it's a really cool space to work in. Yeah, and you guys have been leading that that uh, really for a long time now. And you were in the sustainability sort of area of to build for a while weren't you and now you've moved into running the um the online membership so tell us about moving from you know like the the, the role that you played in the sustainability area and then moving into the because that's you you really love the subscription like the membership the online growing that don't you like that's kind of your baby as well yeah I look um Hmm. something about me is I just like working on anything where there's a problem to solve and as mm. long as it involves people um, I love it. So I think sustainability, that was a really natural uh, gap for me to fill. And I think what often happens when you go to a family business, well, particularly in my case, there wasn't really a, a specific role that I could step into that I wanted to do. So I had to 
feel confident enough to craft out a role for myself and make it attractive to be able to come into the business. So sustainability was a, uh, I didn't come in for that reason. I came in with, um, for the wine club and the estate, but uh, there was a gap there with the sustainability side of the business. And given I'm someone who loves solving a problem, I just saw it as an opportunity. So, and I love the planet. So I love the earth. So it was sort of like, well, here's a hot, here's a gap. There's an opportunity. Nobody's really looking at that space. It's something we're interested in. Uh, I think there's lots of problems to solve there. So yeah, I really um, invested a lot of energy into getting it up and running for the business. Mm-hmm. And then with the wine club, I was doing that um, in my early days. And then uh, I sort of stepped in and out of it as I had kids. Um, and I'm back in it again, started doing it about a year and a half ago. And yeah, I just love the, I think what I love the most about working in sales and marketing is you just, it's the psychology of human beings. And when you sell a product that you're proud of, uh, it's just fun. It's just mm. fun to see people engaging with a product that you're proud of, that you know is good for the environment, that you know is supporting so many people in the community. It's just, um, yeah, it's a fun place to play. Like I enjoy it because it changes all the time and I like change. So uh you can change strategy every day. You learn something every day because sales give you an understanding of how everything's going. So, uh, yeah, I, re- I really like that about sales and marketing. It's mm. good. Mm. And I love that you say that you like change. And I must say, I feel the same about our avocados. Like, it's so nice to know that you're growing something and you're producing something that's like, you know, just feels good. You know, there's something about that. Now, tell us about change then, because you and I both love change. We thrive on change. <laughs> Yes. But we know that human beings in general don't. Like change is really, really hard for people. And you've done a lot of work in the community to kind of, you know, the, the work that you did. Like what inspired that work? Is it Was that part of it that you love change and you could see that there was a gap again? You love solving problems. But, you know, that, that Women in Water event that you had was a massive success when you ran that the first time. I think you had like 200 women turn up to, you know, dinner in Blighty. So tell us about your work in the community from, from I mean, from that to, you know, starting the co-working space and the Riverina Collective and I'd love love you to share about that because I think so many women do a lot of work in the community and, and it's such a lovely story to hear sort of what inspired you and the work that you've done as well, I think. So with the event, I think that was in 2013 because it was when I had Oscar, so my second child. Um, I feel like a lot of my things that I follow through on come from a frustration within myself primarily like first point of call is always an internal driver I've got to say at that point I probably was thinking I'm so frustrated with the lack of respect for women in this community and their ability to understand um, water and technical issues that impact them every day Uh, I think it was one phone call and one random person that I happened to meet that sort of triggered it off. So uh, I had Oscar. He was little. I think he would have been maybe six or seven months. I met someone who's still a great mate of mine who had just moved back to the area, Emily, and Lockie had called me and said, oh, I can't meet this new person's coming to meet me about irrigation on the farm. Can you make her a coffee and just have a chat to her while I'll be a bit late, I'll be 
you know, half an hour late. I was like, that's fine. Anyway, M came in and we ended up, Lockie never turned up. And we stayed for three hours together chatting. And um, from that, I was already experiencing these frustrations around water. And um, I think meeting M, who had a connection into an organisation that could help facilitate an event, it's sort of all the stars aligned. And um, it seemed pretty obvious to me that there was a gap again in the, the knowledge um, and so we really didn't expect that that many people would turn up, to be honest. It was a free event. It was sponsored. Um, our whole intention was education and empowerment, so to educate women about water and to empower them to feel like they could hold their own around the table um, without men being dismissive of their ideas and opinions. So it was all led from giving them uh, self-confidence to engage in those dialogues. And it was, yeah, hugely successful. We had, yeah, over 250 people, women came along and um, we did a survey at the end. And in the survey, we asked them what they wanted to do next. And they all said they just wanted more opportunities to connect. And so that's how that those next events, which we call the Riverina Collective, I say we, I call the Riverina Collective, but um, felt like a we, we sort of thing. Um, yeah, so then we started doing the events and the events, uh, that was all about um, championing local women to share their personal stories, not uh, just from a place of uh, hardship and struggle and success. And so we had different topics and then I just approached three women in the community to talk about it. And it was a really unifying experience. It was awesome. And it really got us through, I think, some really different, difficult times with water um, there were probably two to three years there where there was a lot of fear in the community and so it was just something nice for women to get together and feel um, comfortable and confident that in life things can be going on and they can be difficult but you can still feel empowered and feel like you can make a difference so yeah that that was a great outcome of of the water event Oh, unexpected events too those riverina collective events and actually i love them so much that we had one in barrow and then i ended up working with Haley for a little while as well except she quickly yeah that i'm not very good at administration or actually <laughs> we both worked that out <laughs> think we, we probably thought as well i think we both like this is one big thing that we talk about a lot is when you start something doesn't mean you can't stop something and turn it into something else and i think at that time we were both like well we're off doing let's do other stuff yeah. which yeah. you know Absolutely. it's not a bad thing either no not at all but they were such they were such incredible events and it was so awesome and I think you're dead right that it was just so empowering to hear women's stories and some of them were stories of you know overcoming all sorts of things but then and, and that feeling of empowerment and so much of it was about connecting people to know that they're not alone, you know, and so much of the work that I do now, and, it, and I just loved what you said there as well, but it's a lot of it is just making people realise that they're not the only ones, you know, and it's like, oh, yeah, well, we, well actually, actually I'm just having a human experience and and it was just so lovely and they were incredible events that did so well. And then you actually went on to, um, you, you were a finalist in the Rural Women's Award too, weren't you, for the work that you did with that as well? Yeah, I was. And, you know, this is so interesting because there's when people mention that award, there's one thing that pops into my mind. I remember when I um, was, I got into the final four 
women at the finalist group and I was chatting to my dad and he said, oh, so you were nominated for that award? And I said, no, I nominated myself. Mm. And he said, you nominated yourself? Who does that? And I was like, well, people should nominate themselves. I was like, this is about giving visibility to myself but also to our community about what we've achieved. So, yeah, it was just really, I think um, for me, yeah, I've never been afraid to put my hand up and say, hey, look, I'm proud of what I achieved. And I think often for others that can be really challenging Um maybe afraid of external judgment or fear. But for me personally, I, I've always put my hand up for things if I think it's going to further either somewhere I can go or somewhere my community can go. Um, mm. So, yeah, I didn't think twice about putting my hand up for that. And it was such a great experience. I mean, I would recommend anyone who wants to put their hand up to do it. It was, it was great. You know, that's the thing about you, though. You you said earlier you, you're grounded, and I'd absolutely say that you you have that grounded confidence, you know. And it's something that I think if people are, it, it can trigger people because we're all actually craving that. I think so many, especially as women, what we want is to be feel confident in ourselves and to have that you know that grounded confidence in who we are. And I think a lot of women are struggling with that, so it can be confronting when we see someone who's doing that, and we can get into that kind of comparison and judgment and all that kind of stuff. But for me, I bloody love it. <laughs> I just love it. It's one of the things I love about you. And we, I was talking about this the other day, actually, with my group. It's just like, I love seeing women in leadership, women who step up and, you know, and I and I'm, my happy place is actually slipping in behind a woman who is in her power leading and just like, yes, and I can just be in there going in the support crew. I love that so much. And I think you are you are such a great leader in that way that you just, and you have a very, very good way of empowering people and bringing them along, which is just such a crucial part of good leadership. It's like you empower other women so that they can also step up and lead and feel confident in themselves. Such a great thing. And I wanted to ask you about, you've been, you've sort of alluded to it, but it's that ability that you have to actually just do it. That's something that I really admire about you is you don't seem to overthink things. You just, if you've got an idea, you see the gap, you see the problem, you're like, right, I'm going to solve that. I'm going to go and do it. You know, creating the co-working space. You saw the gap, you just created it. So is that something that you've had to work on or is that a natural thing to you? Because I am a chronic overthinker and so I look at someone like you and go, how do they do that? <laughs> do you, is it just a natural thing or is it something that you have to work at or how do you just do stuff? <laughs> well, I'm going to take this opportunity because, as you know, I love the Enneagram. Um, (laughs) So I'm going to bring it up. Uh, I think uh, a lot of this for me, I've never really understood why I work that way. So the pitfalls of being someone like me who just goes from thinking to doing, thinking to doing, thinking to doing. So I've got an idea, I do it. I've got a problem, I solve it. So my thought process is normally like, how can I solve the problem? That's the first thing I ask myself if I'm in my non-aware state. How can I solve the problem? Solve it. Where that can really trip me up sometimes is people get frustrated that uh, a lot of people work the other way where they say, who can I ask for help is the first one. So there's usually four things you ask yourself, like how do I solve the problem? What am I going to do? 
Who can I ask for help? Why am I doing this? So there's four questions that you always ask yourself when confronted with anything, change or whatever you're doing. And it depends on your thinking style, what you tackle first. So I always do how can I solve the problem is my natural style first. What I've been trying to do lately is ask who can help me as a first port of call. Some people get down to the end of the thought process and then they're like, why am I doing this again? I can't remember. Um, so, yeah, it's all, it's all thinking style. And um, I think what I've learned from, say, the Enneagram is that I'm probably more feeling repressed. So I don't get, if I'm going to get caught up in that thinking doing cycle, so thought to action, it's usually when someone throws me something in that triggers feelings. So say if someone said to me, I don't feel like you're including me in this journey or I don't feel really positive about this idea or I don't like the way that you are talking to people to get this to happen, that's what really slows me down in life is I get uh, if I stop to sit in the feelings for too long, I can get really bogged down. So I'd say in answer to your question, yes, that's just the way that I am. I'm a thinker-doer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be super positive because you get a lot of stuff done. But mm-hmm. it can also at times you can get yourself into a situation where you've taken on too much because you haven't stopped to feel the feelings enough. So you get, I can get to a state of, I used to get to a state of overwhelm and not really realise that I made it there until I was like, wow, I've got way too much. I've done too much thinking, doing activity. Um, Yeah, so it's a natural way of who I am. And I actually, so on the flip side, it's good for me sometimes, often, it's always good for me to have different people around me to not allow me to just think, do, think, do all the time, to sort of hold me up and go, oh, hang on, Hayley, you might want to consider, and my team's really good at this at work. Uh, I think when you said that in that meeting, um, I'm not sure how do you think XX and X felt about that, you know, because I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right, the feelings. Yes, people have feelings. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so, uh, yes, right people in the right team. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But also, the, you know, something that always strikes me about you as well is that you've got that great self-awareness and self, not just self-awareness, but you know yourself so well. You know, so and that is another great leadership quality because you can respect when the team says that to you, whereas a lot of people in that position be like, well, bugger off, I'm the, I'm the team manager, don't tell me what to do, potentially, you know, whereas you have that self-awareness and understanding of who you are so you can actually see that as an asset when someone is able to say, oh, did you realise you were doing that? And you go, oh, yeah, that's right. Like that's another great quality of yours is that ability to be self-reflective, self-aware and understand yourself. Mm, I think it's uh, when I think about the big influences in my life, so who has mentored and coached me, and I would say, you know, Dad and I have been working together for 15 years now, and both my mum and dad have been, you know, massive positive influences in my life. But I must say, my dad is very good at pointing out all the things that are wrong. So I think for me growing up, given I do have that, I've always been this way. My self-awareness around the other stuff is high because since I was a kid, I'd be pulled up about it all the time. You know, oh, Hayley, how do you think that felt? You know, have you thought about their feelings over there? Oh, oh, oh. So it's just um, I've had mentors around me who've helped me be more self-aware about it. And I think as I've gotten older, um, 
I think particularly having kids, it's kind of unlocked that part of my thought process, the feeling thought process. I, I never thought having kids would do that, but for me it certainly brought up a lot of like feelings that I really probably taught myself that I didn't need to express, that I could just get on with it. I could just park the feelings, turn them into logical thoughts and then move on. But that, so having kids has been good for me in that way. It's been my greatest, like the greatest gift my kids have given to me has been accessing my feelings. Mm. Mm, we often talk about this, that our kids will be our greatest teachers. We were just talking about this the other day. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so true. Well, and, again, I think, though, that you need to have a level of self-awareness to see it like that because sometimes if you don't have self-awareness in yourself as a parent, you just end up clashing with your kids all the time or, you know, it can go the other way. Whereas if you've got a level of self-awareness and understanding and you can realise that actually what can I learn from the kids and what can they teach me and how can I grow through this, it's it's a whole, it can be very, very positive. Challenging nonetheless, but also positive. Yes, agree. Yes. <laughs> now tell us about starting the co-working space then. You kind of talked a little bit about it before, but what led to that and how is that going? Mm, so... That just was another step change from the Riverina Collective, so from from the women's events. Again, just um, feedback from the group uh, needing a place to work. I also needed a place to work. So, um, you know, we mentioned ages ago, I guess, that I was doing remote working. So I, for the first few years, that was okay for me because I just approached a couple of businesses in town and ended up finding a spare office to work from. And then when I had Oscar, I um, they re-rented that office. So I didn't have somewhere to work. So I think it was a little bit part selfish, part community-led, where, I, again, I, I think I'm starting to see a real pattern in the way I behave. So um, saw an opportunity for myself, saw an opportunity for the community and so did it together. So instead of then just going and getting an office for myself again, I just thought, okay, I feel like there's more people here who'd like to access an office who work remotely. So I will go and rent an office space that fits other people in instead. And so that's what I did and it's been going for, I think we're into our fourth year. Amazing. So cool. And what a great thing for the community. Again, like it has been wonderful, hasn't it? And it's it's not just the thing about a co-working space is it's not just a great place to work with good internet and all that kind of stuff. It's a connection, isn't it? Giving those people who would otherwise be working in isolation, like it's a nice, it's a great little community connection. Yeah. Yeah. You, I think you forget when, uh, this is one thing I learned when I started remote working is that 80% of going to work is the people. 20% is the job. So for me, and also when you move to a new community, if you don't work in that community, it can be so difficult to connect with other people. Mm-hmm. So it's just been such a nice way to feel like even though your workers or people that you, whatever job you work in are not there with you, you might be sitting on a Zoom call like the last two years for almost 90% of your day, Um but you've got people around you that you can connect with and they feel like work colleagues. I mean, it's we have the most diverse group of people who come in and it's just so nice. You learn so much about the community because everyone comes from different places. Um, it's girls and guys, so you get a real mix of um, just opinions and 
what's happening and they work in diverse industries and also switched on and interesting like I really enjoy it's like coming into work and it's yeah I love it I really enjoy it a lot it's been very worthwhile for everyone Mm, so good yeah it's such a great asset for the community and you were doing it at a time you know there seems to be co-working spaces kind of popping up more and more but when again you're a bit ahead of the curve with that weren't you like you started at a time when it was a bit of a new thing and again again ahead of COVID because now everyone wants to, needs to work online and everything but you were very innovative in your thinking. <laughs> I think that I've never been uh I didn't I know you've done this Katrina the um where you can you do a little quiz and you find out your top qualities, your different qualities. Yes, your strengths and everything. Your yeah, strengths and everything. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And my top one was uh, bravery. Mm-hmm. I do, I've got to say, I never. I've always been like I am probably more introverted. I'm a bit more introvert. Like I get uh, a lot of. I love my alone time. I love people, and I love you know. I fill my cup by walking and aloneness quietness um but uh I've never been afraid to fail Mm. or be judged by somebody for failing so it's always my critics always been very internal not external so I've never which sort of goes back to the feeling things I mean I can honestly say never in my life have I walked around thinking I wonder if Katrina's going to like that or what's dad going to say if I do that it's mm-hmm. always been how's Haley going to feel if she does that is Haley going to be upset if she fails at that um, it's always been guided by my inner compass not an external force which mm-hmm. is completely opposite to say my husband he's different and that's good for me, me to, if, or you <laughs> but it's good to have people around to have you know we all you're either one or the other so um and you can tap into both we've all got a bit of both but you sort of get led by one or the other mm. so strengths and weaknesses of both approaches it's also again it just comes back to that whole just understanding yourself as who you are and then who you are as a human being you know it's like and this is where you and myself and Meg and a lot of the work that we do is really just trying to understand ourselves better Mm -hmm. (laughs) and figure out who we are in the world so that we can try to, you know, do the best we can for ourselves, for our families, for everyone around us. And the more we understand about ourselves and a lot of what you've talked about today is that you have this great understanding of yourself as a person in the world and as a person in your family, in your business, in the work that you do in the community, you just sort of really you know, understand who you are in all of those roles, which I think is a real credit to you. And it, it does take a lot of work to do that too. It takes work. It takes awareness. It takes, you know, knowing and understanding yourself and figuring all of that out. I think it's really important. So I wanted to ask you one more thing about, well, there's two more things I was hoping to ask you. Leadership. Tell us about like what you've learned about leadership. Because I know that, well, I see I see you as a, as a great leader in your, you know, all of those areas, like I just talked about, business, community, family. So Tell us what have you learned about leadership that you think is really important that might be helpful for for my listeners, for our listeners? Leadership, what does that mean to you? Leadership, that's a good one. Um, I think what I've learned about leadership is that there's lots of different ways to approach it and that's unique to each individual. Um, For me, what I've found has worked because I can only go off my own experience um, what I've learned about myself in different leadership roles or just uh, in the community is um, approaching 
people with curiosity is, mm. uh, I think, a great way to get the most out of anyone that you're working with. And it's actually way harder to do than what it sounds. So curiosity is not just asking somebody a question. It's about um, trying to really listen to what they're asking of you or where it's coming from. Like that question that you ask at the start of these podcasts, how did you get here essentially, is it's a pretty powerful piece of understanding if you're prepared to listen and spend a bit of time understanding before you react Mm -hmm. and being someone who thinks and does often um, I think the best leaders can actually draw on all of those centers of themselves so the feeling the doing and the thinking and be conscious about how they're doing that I certainly look I'm what am I? I'm 37 and I feel like it's only been in the last year or so that I've really understood what approaching people with curiosity as a leader actually really looks like. Um, yeah, it's that would be the probably the biggest thing that I've learned. And I have noticed that if I um if I can approach people that way, which is really just taking a step back and maybe um yeah trying to see what they're trying to say rather than jumping too far ahead like I know that um everyone's orientated to time in a different way you're either sitting in the future which is where I sit often so I I can be dismissive of people who who bring up past so Mm -hmm. if you're a past someone who sits in the past standing in the past which is a fine place to stand by the way um it just means that you examples or you like to draw on examples um, of past examples and often you keep tabs on people around past activity and and if you're a future person you can be very dismissive of that so uh, and when you're in the present you're just dealing with what's right in front of you so um, understanding where people are standing and where they're coming from has probably been yet my greatest learning as the leader Um, and the better you become it being able to just hold your thoughts for a moment and sit with it before you respond. Um, Yeah, the more successful leadership is, no, just um, you get better outcomes and better relationships. So, yeah, that's what I would say about leadership. Mm, Such great advice. Definitely something that I have to do the work on is responding rather than reacting and taking that time before I speak. It's definitely not a skill of mine. But I think, you know, you, you just seem to be so wise beyond your years. I've always thought that. And, and um, so much of what we've talked about today has, has really shown that. Now, I always ha- I have one last question that I always like to ask people. You've alluded to it a little bit as well today. But what can you tell us what you do for your well-being or to kind of like do you have any practices that you do daily to take care of your mind, body and soul or things that you do sort of routinely or, you know, just even every now and then? But, you know, what are the sort of things that you do? Because, you know, you're a mother of three, running a, you know, working five days a week, doing so much work in the community. You manage a lot, but you always seem to do it with calm and like very grounded and very considered. And there's not, I never see you kind of, you're not one to sort of rush around and you don't seem busy and you're very grounded like we've talked about. So tell us how you manage to do that and what some of the practices might be and the tools that you might use to to maintain that. 
If you uh, top, yeah, <laughs> I, the, I mean, my, my main one is healthy boundaries. That's, um, uh, that's my top one for maintaining a calm <laughs> sense of calm. As soon as I drop some of my healthy boundaries, so say, for example, um, finishing work at a certain time, so being really strict about when I clock off at the end of the day, mm-hmm. um, just how I fill my days and not letting, allowing people to um, book me up too tightly back to back. That's, yeah, just having a nice flow. So, yeah, healthy boundaries. And I think for me also have saying no, uh, not always saying yes. So I'm very... Um, I treat my time very uh, valuably. I guess I, that's probably not even a word, I don't think. Um, but I really, <laughs> I really do look at like, um, yeah, I don't say yes to everything. Mm. I, yeah, I don't say yes to everything, which is really important and being okay with that and making space to do some of those things that I do really enjoy, which is alone time. So um, getting in the garden for me is it's really important or having my regular exercise. I just, um, the kids and I do triathlon one day a week, the older kids and um, myself, we do that one day a week and that's really nice because I get to spend time with them but we're doing something physical. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's lovely. So that's pretty sacred. That's like a must-do during the week. And then I have, um, I do one exercise session on my own uh, with a personal trainer Again, mix of social and exercise. That's kind of works for me really well, having a bit of people and a bit of exercise. So, yeah, I would say healthy boundaries, saying no and regular exercise, my, my main three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. That's Love that. I love one of the main things I love to do is share, you know, whether or not you do have practices or not, but I think it's great to share and just to highlight that, because, you know, obviously something that I'm so passionate about is helping people to see that the choices they make really do matter for how they show up in life, you know. And and if we're looking after ourselves, it's easier to handle whatever gets thrown at us, change, you know, difficulties, you know, bad crops, terrible weather, whatever it is. If we're looking after ourselves, it's, it's easier. And, and I think you're right, like healthy boundaries and being able to say no is such a big one because so many of us really struggle with the whole pleasing and needing to think that we have to do everything for everyone else. And, and you know, that's when we get into these states of just overwhelm, busy and stress. So I love that you shared that one with us. It's so important for you. So that is awesome. Uh, Hayley, thank you so much for chatting with me today. It's so lovely. It's such a treat. It's my birthday on the weekend, so I'm, like, so excited at the moment. And now I get to do this talk with you. It's just been so lovely to have this. It doesn't feel like work when I do this sort of stuff. I love it so much. And making this podcast is such a treat and getting to interview you, one of my dearest friends, just brings me so much joy. So thank you so much for your time today. I've just absolutely loved chatting with you. Same here as always. Thanks so much, Hayley, and thank you to everyone for listening. See you guys.